It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Does One note, we'll go to the Cavs, but Andy Reid speaking to reporters just said, and this is two minutes ago, had they won the coin toss, they would have kicked. So they wanted the ball second regardless. So Of course. They got what they wanted. You know why? Because he's been thinking about this for two weeks. He had, and they said that the Chiefs were prepared and ready to go for two if that happened. So The Chiefs would have gone for two. The Chiefs would have gone for two had it played out like that, yeah. So, would have been, would have been. I mean, that would have been all the drama. That. And yeah, you know what? So, the, so I don't know what what they call it, but a lot of those plays in those situations are called glass breakers, like break, break glass, glass in, in case, case of emergency. emergency. And every co- every coach has two or three of them that they never use. Mm-hmm. They they're just in their hip pocket for just those critical moments. And Andy Reid is so good at glass breakers. He has one for every regular season game, so it changes every game. And then he has completely different ones that you've never seen for that situation well, right last, there. A fourth and one to last, win the last game. Thing, something like that. The game-winning touchdown was the exact same play they used against the Eagles last season, which they did not run since the All last year. Super Bowl. It's corn beautiful. dog Hadn't run corn dog. Exact same fake motion. San Francisco traded off in the defensive secondary, just like switch. Philadelphia did, which led to McCall Hardman getting open. All right, let's read. talk a little Cavs, guys. Over the last 18 games, Cleveland is 17-1. and one. And we've talked about the hot streak. We've talked about what they've done. But I was doing some digging, and I found this stat from Dork Sports, which is – it sounds like a joke Twitter handle. It's a very legit – they do awesome work. If That's you don't follow Dork burner Sports. Account. <laughs> That's a burner account. Tell I the wish – listen, they, they, they go deep into the archives. It very, very well worth a follow, though. In this 18-game stretch for the Cavs, they have been outscoring their opponents by 303 points in totality. 18 games, 303 points. It's only happened five other times in NBA history since Dork Sports has been tracking. Wow. The Bucs have done it twice. In 1971-72 season, that's when they had Kareem. In 2020 and 2021, that was Giannis' MVP when they blew out everybody in the regular season. How about the 72-win Bulls? The first year of the Steph KD Warriors. That was not their championship year, though, was it? 72 no, the 2021. For the Bucks, Didn't the Lakers win that year? The late, no, that was the Bucks championship. It was the Bucks championship? That's yeah. what I'm asking. Yeah, but yeah. So the right? Lakers won 21-22. Sure about that? Yeah, because that COVID year was, that was the year after COVID. Mm-hmm. Well, COVID was COVID-19, and then 2020 was the year of the shutdown. That's not their championship year. Bucks won the following year. But that's that was the year that, that they won the regular season. The only reason season. I bring that up is because I'm not sure the Bucks won the year Kareem did it either. It, regardless of whether they done it or not, those are five of the greatest teams in the history of the NBA. Kawhi and Duncan, take that, take it back up, Ant. Steph and KD Warriors, the first year, they won a championship for sure. 72 Bulls won for sure. 71-72 Bucks, I'm 99% sure they won. I'll pull that up in one second. Okay. And then the Bucks in 2021-2020. I'm just trying to figure out, is this some sort of indicator of Four of the five, according to Dork success. Sports, four of the five had won championships. <clears throat> 303 in 18 games is a feat that is very rarely accomplished. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's not just beating teams on a nightly basis. That's beating the living crap out of teams. Right. And not all those teams are 17-1. and one. Their one loss was to Milwaukee. They ended up beating them twice in that stretch. 
It is not only the, one of the best stretches in NBA history, it's the best stretch in Cavs history. And you can take 180 from me real quick. Of any stretch in 18-game history for the Cavs, their best 18-game plus-minus was 293. That was during God, the— Who figured this? Uh, Do you know Dork Sports. This is all from Dork Sports, so shout-out Dork Sports. God. Do you think the Cavs—so the question is essentially, are the Cavs getting enough credit for how good they've been over this 18-game stretch? <laughs> it's the regular season. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be playing like this in the postseason. This doesn't guarantee a championship by any means. No, but in but, the moment— is it being properly celebrated? Or exactly. Are we giving enough credit to the Cavs for how damn good they've been no. since the middle of December? No, but I'll say this, man. Nipsey Hussle. Everybody knows Nipsey Hussle, yep. was, mm-hmm. right? Nipsey Hussle got a famous line that says, man, I don't even trip on the credit. I just keep paying the dues. Like, sometimes you won't get the credit for the work that you put in. Just keep paying the dues, right? The Cavs got big dreams and big goals. And, you know, get to the playoffs, win a playoff series, possibly get to the Eastern Conference Championship and then see what happens from there. But, you know, locally or nationally, if people is not, are not giving you the, the, the quote-unquote credit, so what, man? Just keep paying your dues. You know who you are. You, you, know, you know what your goals are. You know what you're trying to accomplish. The hell with the credit, man. Keep going out there every single night. Keep playing hard. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, n- no, we're not giving them their just desserts, and there's a couple reasons. One is... You know, whether we like it or not, we have, we've been jaded. Uh, to me, we've had the best basketball player ever to play um, uh, in this city. And when you have the best basketball player ever to pl- play basketball, um, it's like saying if you go to Chicago and say, hey, the Bulls are in fifth place. Uh, are we giving them enough credit? They ain't trying to give you no credit. Like, they, they saw six championships. No, they're not going to give you no credit. They may, even with Derrick Rose was there, like, they was good, but they were still not saying that they was nowhere near what the Bulls was. I think the same thing goes, goes in, in, into what we talk about here. We, we went to the finals four years in a row. We did win the championship. We did play the Golden State Warriors, who probably had one of the greatest teams ever assembled. So it's kind of difficult for me to be like, all right, let me look at Max Struess and, uh, you know, some of the guys in Isaac and Coro, uh, and be like, oh, my goodness, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. No, nah, the only way we're going to give them credit is if they establish something and, and being, become uh, consistent in what they're doing, not just a flash in the pan, pan. So if they can go this year, ball out, say, for instance, get to uh, Eastern Conference Finals and lose in six, seven games, now, we, now they got some, some money in the bank. Now we know, okay, this is what this team is like. They play hard. Uh, they, they're, gonna be, they're not going to fold in the playoffs. It's just about making shots. That's nasty. That's a nasty shot. That is a nasty shot. Um, I love the Nipsey Hustle line, by the way. And by the way, Who just cares? to clarify, all five of those teams did win championships. Yeah, so we I'm actually just, had our years wrong on the COVID year. Right. I was COVID was 1920. All five of those teams on that list, along with the Cavs, right. who are yet to win a championship, right. are NBA now, champions. Now, look, so – History tells us that that is an indicator of winning a championship. That's been done five times in NBA history, and five times they've won the Larry O'Brien. That's great. Here's why they're not getting their credit. We saw this movie last year in the regular season. This one's a little bit better, but we saw it. And then when all eyes were on them for four games, they laid a major egg. They were the disappointment in the playoffs for me because I knew that I, I knew that Knicks were a tough matchup for us. I thought if we lost, it's going to go five games and all the games would be close. Mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out what happened to that regular season Cavs team 
once the playoffs started. So we talk about Patrick Mahomes, and you know what you're going to get. You know. He's going to be steady. He's going to be great. When the moment is its biggest, he'll be his best. Mm -hmm. Last year, when the moment was biggest for the Cavs, they were their worst. So I'm not going to buy fool's gold again. I'm not saying they're going to flame out again. What I'm saying is I put my hand on the stove last playoff season, and I still have scar tissue on my hand. I got burned. I'm not willing to touch that stove again until I'm sure that it's not still red hot. So this Cavs team is doing all they can do in the regular season. They're not even the one seed. But they've they've looked really, really good over the last two months of the season. I need to see it in April. I need to see it when the real lights shine. I need to see this same Cavs team. If they continue to play like this, I think they have to be considered a championship caliber team. Not predicting the championship, but when you're a two, at the All-Star break. In most situations, you're a legitimate contender. So, go win in the re- in the postseason, but let me and play, you'll have my attention. Let me play devil's advocate, though. Last year, they played a specific style of play. Last year, they was way less physical. They looked like they was way less... Um, they, they, they was way less aggressive. And now they've made, they did some changes. They went and got some shooters, right? Those shooters have paid dividends. The guys that was playing weak last year, not playing so weak this year. The, the your superstar um, has showed up and, and, and is playing better than he played last year. And you was the four seed last year. Now you're the second seed. Don't well, they're only, if I'm not mistaken, they're only a game from the fifth. So they're only right? game from the uh, fifth. I think they're two or three games up from the okay. fifth now. So, but so it's, it's pretty close. close it's tight. If, if they, you know, and I saw Boston play last night. Boston got, you know what I'm saying, a lot of guys. They got Holiday, you got Przingis. Uh, they still got Horford, obviously Deep. Brown and Tatum and White and all those guys. Like, if they can get to a point where you two games out of first place and the, the Celtics already have won 40 games, the, the Cavs got the Cavs got the second best record in the league. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. That has to for a team that is young, that got embarrassed, that doesn't that show you that they 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 figured something out. I mean, I think that it's funny because I said this yesterday when me and Mike went live. I believe in like humility before honor and usually before you kind of reach the pinnacle, reach your goal or become successful, you go through some hardships, sure. you go through some growing pain, you go through some tough times and people don't realize in those moments while you're going through it, how necessary those moments are. Everything that the Cavaliers went through last year, even though it pissed us off to see our team go through it and it frustrated us, it was necessary because you got to go through those growing pains in order for you to grow, become better, learn from your mistakes, and then become ultimately who you believe that you can become. And I think last year was huge for the Cavaliers. We might not have realized it or understood it in the moment, 
but you see it now. I'm gonna read this quote real quick. And Jared Allen said this to Cleveland.com three days ago. He said, we may not look like the toughest, but when you start messing with the dogs, you're gonna get bit. We talk all the time about athletes hearing the noise and seeing everything, right? I talk to the point of, I don't think that's a problem. I think what you do with it is what matters. This is a team that heard all the noise and read everything about how soft they was, how unprepared they was, how the lights was too bright, how they got to their biggest moment and they failed. They seen all of that. And you see the results of that right now show up in their play, show up in their effort, show up in just the little things that they do. And I'm loving it. And I'm to your point, right? Like, we're local Cleveland media. We, we might not be covering the Cavs or giving them all the attention and they're they 17 and one. Man, just keep doing what y'all doing. We see y'all, Don't worry but about we ain't, we ain't, we're not ready to really just kind of, but just keep doing what you're doing. And trust me, when the time come, we're going to give y'all all y'all flowers that y'all earned. You get what you deserve. And if they, if they, and I, I, I need more than one playoff win. Too. Yeah. If you're the two, like I need to see two playoff wins. If you end up being the one, I want to see you in the finals. You're talking about series, not simple games, right? Yeah. I mean, just say you said two playoff wins. Just want to clarify. No, I mean series. series wins, yeah, not... I don't mean two playoff wins still gets you bounced in the first I, round. I, that's why I just wanted to clarify. Yeah, no, I want to make I, sure I, you're on the record. There's with steps that. to it. Everybody knows that there's a progression to success in the NBA, and you're right. You do have to walk through coals to get to, you know, where you want to be. Last year was really tough. The coals I was hoping to walk through would be a nice win in the first round, and then you lose in the last game of round two. We didn't get to round two. We, we won one playoff game. And I love that quote. From, that was, from jo- was that from Allen? Yeah. I love that quote. And the reason I love that quote is because you don't have to be the bully to be successful. Right. But you can't be successful if you don't strike back when the bully hits just, you. Just don't be the punk. Don't be the punk. Just don't be and the last punk. Last year, we were the punk. <laughs> That's it. And I'm, so you don't have to be aggressive-aggressive. You can be passive-aggressive. But when the Cobra strikes, you have to strike back or you're the punk. I think I think um, one thing it'll be like, and let's be honest, man, we, we Cleveland fans or whatever the case may be, we ain't done enough living and done enough winning to be jaded. Like, I'm sorry. Like, like if you want to be a Golden State Warriors fan and be jaded, like, oh, you know what? I'm just so tired of winning these championship games. I have nothing for it regular season. That's cool. We could be mad, but we can't be jaded. 17, 17 out of your last 18 games means something. Like, you're on the right track. You're doing some things. You get, and, and I've always said, I want to see you develop people. And guess what? JB is developing people. Sam Merrill's been developed. Isaac Okoro's gotten better. Jared Allen is playing better. Donovan Mitchell's having his best year of his, of his life, it seems like. Now, I think the, the Cavs are over the whole overarching thing. Are they good or are they not? I think now they're to sort of place where now we can start talking about the minutia of, okay, what's the best way to play? You know, we was on the radio the other day, and, and Earl just threw, I mean, he just poisoned the water supply. We was on the barbershop. No, he says, I didn't. Why <laughs> Don't listen to him, Jay. He said uh, he, he got uh, Darius Garland coming off the bench. All these people agree with him. Like, like, hey, like. Let, let's, let's give it more content to that, because here's the funny part about it, right? I was on this set last Monday. And I said, I felt like, you know, like possibly bringing Darius Garland off the bench. I got ripped to shreds for it, right? Why? I don't know, right? Ripped to shreds. I say the same thing Saturday and everybody is agreeing. All I was saying was that I thought the Cavaliers made the right move by not 
kind of making any moves at the trade deadline. Right. I came around to the point that Jason has always made. All the Cavs need is experience and time to grow. My point now is, if we're talking about what we seen last year in the playoffs, right, and we don't want to repeat performance, you have because the Cavs are a lock to make the playoffs. Yes. You got the rest of this season to experiment, to tinker with different lineups, yep. to see how many different lineup variations that you can exploit. I said that a at the same at the same time, you're trying to get Gary Darius Garland going. You know that you're going to need Darius Garland come to playoffs, right? I think Darius Garland is a very talented basketball player for those who don't think I just don't like him. The dude is talented. If I'm J.B. Bickerstaff, you Darius Garland. Let's have a conversation, Jay. I know you're a max player. I know what you're capable of. I know you're capable of 20 and 5. I understand that you're trying to get yourself back into game shape. I understand that you're even trying to work on becoming a better facilitator at the point guard position. But right now, we got so much talent. We got so many different people playing well. Let me see if I can bring you off the bench for the next three or four games. That way, when you come in with that second unit, the world is yours. You still going to get your 25, 28 minutes a game. You know, let's see if we can get the numbers up in the points per game. Mm. You're, you're doing pretty well with the assist. The Castle's plus 19 when I'm on the court, you know, the last game they played. I, Darius, this is not nothing permanent. This is not nothing long term. I literally just want to see if this works now so that way if we're in a situation come playoffs, I know that I got this glass breaker lineup that I can go to if I need it. So there's two scenarios that I'll answer that with, okay? When Travis Kelsey wasn't on the field yesterday in a critical moment in the game, how did he respond? Oh, he passion. He was he pissed. He damn near knocked his coach over, yeah, he was right? pissed. He was furious. I'll go to another one. When Drew Brees, who was a Super Bowl winning quarterback and will be a Hall of Fame quarterback, was taken out of the game because they had a backup quarterback that could do things that he can't, how did Drew Brees handle that? I really don't remember that. Class and dignity. Never once did he go to Sean Payton and say, what are you taking me out of the game for? I'm a Hall of Famer. I've won a ring. I put a ring on your finger. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, in this particular instance, if he never responded that way. That conversation may have been had, by the way, behind closed doors. Likely did. And here's the way Sean Payton probably answered it. I believe there are certain situations in the game that call for certain solutions. He's not a better quarterback than you. Mm-hmm. He does one thing definitively better than you do. When that's needed... I owe it to the other 52 guys to make sure I got the best player in the game at that spot at that time. Now, they never took that to a Super Bowl. Right. And I only bring that up because I think the the key to the Cavs' success in the playoffs is how Darius Garland responds to this. Is he Travis Kelsey? Or is he... And now look, Kelsey won won the Super Bowl. He got eight catches for... 82 yards after having one catch but one target. So so it worked because the coach clearly got him more involved. And Drew Brees never won a Super Bowl with Taysom Hill. Yeah, but full disclosure again, since since we're doing this here, I just want to say I think that Darius Carlin is a very, very talented basketball player. And and it's not (laughs) Taysom Hill, by the way. I'm not making that comparison. No, I'm just saying because when I come with these outside-the-box takes and and try to be creative – People think that I don't like Darius Garland or I'm just trying to send him to the bench or we don't know basketball. No, you got to be creative. 
You got to think outside the box. Especially in the Pe- playoffs. People have this, this mindset of, I'm afraid to try something different or I'm afraid to tinker with this and tinker to that. I don't operate in fear. That's not who I am. No. And so, I, of course, my mind is going to go, I need to get you going. I know I need you, right? I love the fact that you're becoming a better facilitator. I love the fact that you're not forcing jump shots when you know you're not in game shape, right? You're finding other ways to have an impact on the game. But I need Darius Garland to still go get a bucket when it's time to get a bucket. It's just that simple. And what happens ultimately, I think, mm. is if I love the way you phrased it, you're going to be the king of the second unit. When the, when the second unit is out there, you're going to be going against the second unit in all likelihood. And if the other coach decides not to put his second unit on the floor when you're on the floor, we're going to wear his starters out. So you create a real headache for the opposing coach if you're bringing Garland off the bench and there's no rest for your starters. You want to go ahead and live in that universe where you put a second-team guy on on Darius Garland. He's going to get smoked, and now your second unit is definitively better than any NBA's second unit because you've got a first-unit guy leading it. And one one last thing before you go, Gene. Mm -hmm. I believe that I know it's outside the paradigm paradigm thinking, and it's definitely not the the way you want to do it. Per that standard... The Cavs have never played better in the regular season. Not even with LeBron James for all those years were they plus 303 in an 18-game stretch. How big of a factor was Darius Garland in those last 18 games? I mean, they haven't lost since he's come back. He was out for how many of those 18 games? 12? Uh, Yeah, I think they're six. So two-thirds of that stretch, Garland wasn't on the floor. And when Garland has played... He, he's clearly not, I mean, he's had moments, but he hasn't looked like Darius Garland pre-injury. That's because the Cavs, in his absence, figured something out. Mm. And he's what they figured out is, this is, the, this is what makes them the absolute best team they can be. I hope Darius Garland throws his arms around that and accepts that. I'm not saying you bring him off the bench all of the time, but there will be matchups where the other team's second unit is at a distinct disadvantage if Garland's on the floor. It it was so funny because I literally said just three or four games, just to experiment. But again, to me, people get so outraged because they don't know how to think outside the box. People want to stick with the status quo. People are are more concerned about public perception than they is experimenting and trying different ways to get to your ultimate goal. Again, I don't operate in my fears. I don't give a damn what the masses think, how they feel about things, right? You got to be willing to step outside of yourself and at least try something different. And if you're not willing to try something different, then that says a lot about you. That's, that's a lot of stubbornness, right? And again, it's just a situation. Nine times out of 10, the man probably is never coming off the bench anyway, right? Right. It probably won't happen because even in the NBA, they're going to say this is a max player. Sure. He can't be coming off the bench. But for everybody who feels like, it's the worst idea in the world. I would tell you, man, you got to learn how to think outside the box and stop going about everything like you do every single day. So, yeah, so the poll got 27,000 views. Now, they was on you. They was liking it at first. But as, as you know, as time goes on, sure. you know, they, so 59% of the people uh, with this tweet. What poll are you talking about? This poll that Tagboard refuses to show the results, but this is the poll that G put up. There's actual results to this poll, which G will read you, but this was the tweet he put with the options. Yes or no? Would you bring Darius Garland off the bench on a limited basis for three to four games 
to get his rhythm. 41% of the people said yes. 59% of the people said no. 27,000 views and over 1,200 uh, people responded to the poll. Now, uh, when you go and look and, and you take a look at some of the numbers that we, we talk about, the numbers that accompany him are, are slightly scary a little bit. Now, Darius Garland obviously does not have his feet underneath him, right? He doesn't have exactly um, his feet, what he, what, like he's, you know, what he's averaging. He's averaging 18.8 right there. But if you go back and you look at the last, oh, what? Since he came since, back, since, since he came back, um, he got 19 points his first night back, three assists. Uh, at Memphis, nine points, seven assists. Get San Antonio Spurs, four points, four assists. Uh, Sacramento Kings, 11 points, five assists. The uh, Wizards, 13 points and four assists. Brooklyn, 14 points, seven assists. And the Toronto Raptors, 11 points and eight assists. So he's hovering around about 10, 10 points or so. A clearly diminished role. That's the point. And they're seven and all. That diminished role, and he's seven and all. Now, when you look at the salary rise, right, and we talk about it, hey, I like basketball players to me is the most sensitive people in all the world. It's only they're they're an elite group of people. They go, they play AAU. They hang with only five or ten of them, and it's a different world. Darius Garland, in terms of what he makes, is an elite guy. Thirty-four million dollars. Now, mind you, that's a year. Guess who else makes that type of money? John Morant. He ain't coming off the bench. James Harden ain't coming off the bench. Carl Anthony Towns ain't coming off. Devin yeah. Booker ain't. Aren't these guys definitively the best players on their team? Yes, indeed they are. And Darius Garland is not. Uh, J- Jamal Murray, NBA champion. Brandon Ingram. Shea Gilders Alexander. Uh, Don- he And this is the, the thing that hits you. He makes more than Donovan Mitchell. So That's a fact. Th- he, he makes more than Jason Tatum. Also a fact. When you put, when you make that model money and you in the league, you like yo. Not only would he not do it, his agent will be like, "We got rid of Colin Sexton for this guy." <laughs> his agent's Rich Paul, <laughs> and he and his name's Rich Paul. He'd be like, mm, "Coming off whose bench? Darius Garland. I don't care if he averages five a game. My client is not because you know how I go in the, in the league, Jay. If you get bounced from one team where you was the man, people start whispering." You know what people do though when you win an uh, NBA championship as a definitive great sixth man? Name name some that have done it. Ginobili. Ginobili. Uh, who who uh, Porter? My, Michael Porter didn't start. He, did he for the Nuggets? But he yeah, don't he call him great. He did yeah. last year. Now now think about it. You didn't already moved them in your mind to sixth man. <laughs> You see, and I'm not saying definitively <laughs> six man. I'm not like I'm you, saying there will be matchups, right? That you look at and it's all dependent on the matchups. That's what the Cavs don't get. Well, Cavs fans don't get. If you want to keep running into that same brick wall, then don't be surprised if you get bounced in the first round. The Cavs were bounced in the playoffs last year, not because they weren't the better team. Mm-hmm. They lost the matchup game with the Knicks. They had no answers. What I'm saying is there will be series where you just look at things and say, whoa, they got nobody to handle Darius Garland in their second wave. So once they go to their second wave, I'm giving my star a breather and my team probably just got better. 
because Garland coming in for him to now do what Mitchell was doing is doing it against an inferior defender. And now, all of a sudden, the coach is going to look at his rotation and his second wave is going to end up being two minutes instead of four. What does that do to the starters in minute 46, 47, and 48 when 95% of all playoff games are decided? I will say this, though. They're more tired. Since he's been back, uh, I heard him speak to the media the other day, and I really appreciated what he had to say. I did, too. You know, he said that I'm not in game shape. I'm still working myself back into game Mm -hmm. shape and that I'm I'm just really out here trying to get my teammates involved. And so, like, the Cavs were plus 19 with him on the court their last game. I appreciate the fact that Darius Garland – is not out here just jacking up shots just for the sake of jacking up shots, right? He's playing within the offense. He's doing his thing. You know what I mean? Like, as he's coming back and getting himself back into basketball shape, you know, I'm just throwing out different scenarios of while, while we're in this little stretch yep. of how can I do more to get Darius Garland going when it comes to the point side of things? I think he's doing his job when it comes to being a facilitator and getting his team involved. I appreciate the fact, like I said, that he's not forcing anything right. while he worked himself up back into shape, you know, but it was just a thought. Maybe or maybe not, this can be a confidence booster for you, you know, as you come back next couple games and we playing some bums and you the leader of the second team, now you back to dropping 24 a game. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, you back in the starting lineup and you dropping 24 a game there. You know, it, it's, it's not the, the worst thing in the world. Together. Yeah, yeah. That's what it comes down to. Are you, see, are you seeing something McNuggets in his game um, that would be alarming or you just figure it's just a matter of time? No, he's working his way back. Uh, you know, if you want to Earl's point of matchups in the playoffs, like they're undersized when they play together. Some of the teams in the Eastern Conference have supersized lineups. If Garland's not closing a game at any point, it's probably because defensively, they have two six-foot guards playing against four guys that are six eight or bigger on New York or Boston. So, so or that's like matchup that. driven. Yeah. So and maybe that, it's so matchup driven, saying. but I don't think. You know, I, I still think at the end of the day, their best lineup includes Darius Garland. Offensively, those two are their two best playmakers with the ball in their hands. We'll find out. And in the playoffs, we'll find out in the playoffs, when teams do scheme, you usually have to go to secondary options. They try to take out what you do best. So Garland brings a ton to the table, and the one thing I appreciate with Darius and Earl, you kind of touched on it. He's not forcing the action when he comes in now. He's right. trying to fit into the system. And granted, this is something he hasn't played in yet. He missed when they kind of made that initial transition. Right. He was still recovering from injury. So for him, it's new. He's kind of working his way back into it. And it's even more difficult for him because he's at being asked to change his role in a new system that other players are already used to, or at least a little more accustomed to because they've had more time. And so I'm not too worried. The last few games have been more promising. And you saw his assist numbers go up. Yeah. I thought Toronto was his best game, the plus 19 uh, is one stat that kind of shows all right, maybe some things kind of worked out, but mm-hmm. plus minus is a weird I know. stat that doesn't tell everything. So one, you know, Dean Wade didn't make a shot; was a plus twenty against Toronto, and it's just kind of Johnny Bravo. Uh, it's one of those circumstantial, that, uh, but I'm not I'm not throwing the red flag up yet. I'm not really worried. Uh, the plus minus is weird. You're right. I can watch a game. It's a great stat. I, I never look at it it's in the game. It's a great stat, but it's also it not the end all be all. Yeah, it's not the end all be all, and a lot of times, not more often than not, but a lot of times. I'll look at the plus minus when the, when the game is over, and I'll look at the box and go, wow, he was minus seven. I, I, I wouldn't have guessed that this player was minus seven. Sometimes it happens the other way. How in the hell was he plus 14? It's, you know, he, they looked terrible when he was in the game. So it's, it's weird, but. To, to, to kind of put a, to put a bow on it, is there anything that they could do to have either one of you excited going into the playoffs? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Do but you, again, I, it's to me, uh, it's all fool's gold. It's, it's, it, it, you know, we learned it last year more than ever before. When a 52-win team flames out that spectacularly in the playoffs, I'm, anything I'm excited, is possible. I mean, I'm excited now. Like, I'm a Cavs fan before anything. Like, I'm going to be excited. I love the way they're, they're playing now. Like, I'm excited to see them play now. They play Wednesday. I'm excited for that. Like, as they keep, keep this thing rolling and going to the playoffs, hell yeah. Like, fandom eventually will take over. I can't sit up here and give no, like, pretty critique answer of they need to do X, Y, and Z. They're winning. They're, they're having fun doing so. They look damn good doing so. And as a fan, I'm excited to see it. Just stay consistent with it. You know the one thing that can make me most excited? Stay out of the Knicks crosshairs. <laughs> I, don't like like that's why the two is so important right because the Knicks I think improved themselves more than anyone at the at the trade deadline and for me you start looking that you're doing the reverse math well if we're a four and the Knicks get the five uh oh but if we're a three it's less it's, likely you're going to see the Knicks because I think could, the Knicks are going to finish in the second half better than they did the first but you could also see the Sixers and Joel Embiid is back well, that, the thing with them missing Joel for so much time scares me that if Philly drops far enough, like let's here's what let's just say the Cavs finish in the three because I do think at the end of the day it's for me Boston, Milwaukee, Cleveland. Although Milwaukee and Cleveland are close, but if Cleveland finishes in the three, the likelihood is you won't see the Knicks, but you could see Philly if they fall far enough without Embiid. That's not a first round matchup that that is that suits you. I will be excited. If here's the way I looked at it, I, I always assume to me on paper, the Milwaukee Bucks, when when you have Lopez, when you still when you still got Middleton, you still got Giannis and you, you got, uh, you know, obviously uh, Dame Dollar. I feel like they, they just got a better roster, you know, since the highest end. But if you could tell me the Cavs is going to be in the second seat over them and almost win 60, if they win 60 games. I feel like you gotta be at that point. We we ain't seen no sixty. What are they on pace for? Fifty five. If 56? they win sixty games, G, that means the rest of the season they can only lose four games. Yeah, that ain't happening. So uh, for them to go sixty right now, they are thirty five and sixteen. They'd have to go twenty five and four to end the season. Yeah, that be, won't happen. You know, what's so funny. You look at the, look at the, the schedule coming up. They got bums coming up too. They do got a and very easy schedule Philly. to end. But they've got Philly three more times. They they got a they got an easy little schedule. I'm like, dang. They How might much win? of this seventeen and one run do you attribute to the schedule? Because they have had Milwaukee twice, but they've also the schedule has been very kind. The schedule helps. Obviously, but they've been playing really good basketball. They're number one in net rating. They're number three in offense. They're number one in defense. Well, and when you're playing bad teams, though, it's but, but I'm just to... saying it's not like it's flukes. And the thing we talked about. I wonder about this what the yesterday. winning percentages of the of the teams collectively over. The I last can't 18. do that math off the top of my head. But uh, no, uh, I'll, I'll say this, that. and we'll move on in a sec. Two things that are different about the Cavs this year than last year. One, they don't just have one way to win. Last year, if Donovan Mitchell had an off offensive game, they struggled to score 105 points. Right, they had right. To win defensively this year. They can beat you defensively. That's they can beat like. you offensively more versatile. Secondly, most cases, it's, there's been a few blips. They're not playing with their food. They're beating the crap out of bad teams. That's, yeah. the, that's part of the plus 303. Sure. The average margin of victory, they have six games in this 17 out of 18 where they haven't trailed by a single point. They're not, just, they're not just winning. They're crushing bad teams. Let me ask you a question. Of the brain trust that you call friends, mm-hmm. you've got people in high p- positions that you're friends with in the NBA. What is the general consensus of your Emerson brain crowd 
on what the Cavs are doing and what they are. Are they buying it? They're kind of similar to you guys. They're really good, but until they win a playoff series, it's yeah. all sham. Not, what... not a sham, but it's all they got to prove it before I'm fully bought in. Okay. Which yeah, I think is a fair. fair. I think it's fair. You can admit they're really good and still admit and still acknowledge, not admit, acknowledge. They have to prove it in the playoffs before you can fully bind to them as a legit contender. Yeah, JB, all so, eyes are on JB once the playoffs re- Really quickly, yeah. the next few games, Sixers, Chicago, Orlando, at Philly, at Washington, those are winnable games. All of those are. Um, you got Dallas, uh, you know, Luka and, and Kyrie. But after, Where is that? Is that home? That's Here. at home. Ooh. And Ooh. then you got a game against the Knicks at, in New York. That's a national TV Ooh, game. I'm going to watch that with great and then they got Then they got two days later, the Boston Celtics. That's so, both both at home, by the way. And so that's that's a, that's those two dope games, and then a couple other dudes down the wow. stretch. They got Minnesota twice, who's number one. When's in, the Boston game? Uh, the fifth, the fifth. March fifth. Okay, let's the, revisit yeah, this March fifth. Yeah, March. Yeah. Mar- they got March New 3rd, York March third, Boston March fifth, and both those are in Cleveland. Both in Cleveland. Okay, so, so March sixth, we'll have a really good tale. We'll have uh, a great conversation right. about what we right. What are the Cavs a month from the playoffs? Yeah, but awesome. I mean back to. To, to wrap it up with what he asked for, are the Cavs getting enough credit? No, but who cares? Just keep winning. Well, you're, right? again, your Nipsey Hustle line. Yeah, just, just keep winning. Yep. The hell with the credit. Keep just paying keep winning. your dues. Keep doing what y'all doing. Yeah, credit right? will come. Yeah, just keep winning. All right. Awesome. One more word from FanDuel here. NBA season is red hot, and you can get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if their bet wins. You can bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and much, much more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash UCSS to shoot your shot. FanDuel, an official partner of the NBA. We'll do this one quickly, guys, because we have two topics to get to, and we got a bunch of super chats. So real quick, five minutes. The Ohio State Buckeyes lost Bill O'Brien to Boston College, replaced him with Chip Kelly as their new offensive coordinator. How do you think the fit between Chip Kelly, all the talent in Columbus, and Ryan Day will go for the Buckeyes in 2024? <laughs> wow. This move came out of the we blue. We were in the gym Friday when on it happened. Friday came out of the blue, yeah. I'm I was literally like, what the hell's going on in college football right now? This what what happened in in just Ohio State's example? You had a coordinator leave for a very mid Division 1 job. Yes, yeah. Very mid division. He was at a, a a top 5 perennial top 5 team as the offensive coordinator, and then suddenly leaves to become a head coach of a school that... For a school whose head coach left to become a coordinator in the NFL. <laughs> exactly. And then you have, which is unprecedented. I asked around on Friday and Saturday. I, I looked it up. If it's happened, I've never, I can't find an example. You had a head coach who has extensive experience at both the NFL and collegiate level leave... Now, I'm not going to call UCLA a blue blood program, it's, but it's, they're, a, they're a very decorated program. He left the head coaching job to become an OC at Ohio State. And you were already playing Ohio State. You're in the conference. You're I'm, in the Big Ten. I, I just, I still can't get my mind around this. I love it. Listen, I'm, I love it. Ohio State got a lot better. I love the timing of the news. Earlier in the day, mm-hmm. Michigan announced Wink Martindale is leaving the NFL to go to become a DC in college football. And 
within hours, Chip, we see your Wink Martindale, and we raise him a Chip Kelly. You know what that tells me? That tells me the money is getting too good. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of cash being infused in college football. And uh, it also shows me um, that now it's an arms race. We told you now you're going to be, if you're UCLA, you got to compete with USC. And nowadays with the one and dones and guys moving around, you got to recruit year round. It is no, there is no, it is not a coincidence that Nick Saban was like, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't doing this no more. No, you're right. Because it don't matter if you get a top 10 recruiting class. Back then, you get a top 10 recruiting class, you could just stockpile people and no one could go nowhere. Now you can, you can waste a budget, give him an NIL deal, and he'll be on the next thing smoking in Tennessee. And you're like, Tennessee's trash. They're like, well, they gave me this amount of money, and it is what it is. I think these, these coaches, these head coaches, don't want the headache. They just want to go insulate. I'll go insulate myself as a coordinator. As and make good money. And make good money and not have to deal with it. That's a great point. And I, I think the, the thing that's really driving coaches crazy, and they're going to have to find an answer to it, or they're going to lose a lot of really good coaches. You're not just recruiting the class of 2024 right now. Mm-hmm. You're going to recruit them again next year. Same kids. Same person. And then you're going to recruit them the following year because the transfer portal is a real thing. It is having a bigger impact on college football's hierarchy than anyone thought. And it is going to drive coaches that are financially secure and their legacy is set like Nick Saban. And there's not many of those guys, right. by the way. But it's going to drive those coaches directly into retirement. Because one of the here, I'll, I'll read one comment that I thought was fascinating as I was asking around experts that have covered this thing for 30 years. One comment was very interesting, and here's, here's what it said. College football is becoming more like the NFL, but instead of 32 teams, there's going to be 50. There's going to be two power conferences in the not-too-distant future. The Big Ten and the SEC. Yes, we've gone to 12 teams for the playoffs, but winning is going to be more difficult in college football than ever before. You'll see a lot of coaches leave the profession or go to the NFL as a coordinator instead of moving jobs internally in college football. And I I don't think that that's very far off the mark. Mm -hmm. It's because look at it. We're already pretty much there. If you're not in the Big Ten or the SEC, do you really have a chance? No. Pac-12, battle of attrition, they're gone. The Big 12, really? I mean, the good teams have left to the SEC. And the ACC, they had a team that was undefeated and didn't get one of four dance tickets. So it's, it's it, it, as if it wasn't already the Big Ten versus the SEC, now the cat's out of the bag. They've said the quiet part out loud. And everybody is scurrying to get into one of the two. The NCAA is going to have to be faced with a really, really big decision. It's coming within the next three to five years. They're going to have tiers of Division I college football. So the MAX and the WAX and these smaller conferences that really have never had a chance to win anyhow, why are they in Division I? They're going to be a secondary tier of college football. And look, that'll be a celebrated playoff champion. And I'm not calling it like Division I-A. These are Division One schools, but they're not Power Five schools, which is really turning into Power Two schools. Yeah. You'll have thirty in the Big Ten, you'll have thirty in the SEC, and uh, some of the teams that are currently in the Big Ten: Northwestern, 
Bye-bye. You, you serve no role anymore other and, than bringing the Chicago market to the Big Ten and, Network. And, 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 other than that, you have nothing to offer. And if they were smart, how they would do it? I asked Gene Smith the same thing. Listen, just listen. Either you get with it now or you take the L later. If you want to make it viable for more teams to compete, you get your Congress together, you get your senators and your governors, and you all sit around in Alabama or Ohio State or Florida, and you say, listen, here's, here's the going rate that we're willing to pay a, a, a college athlete per year. We're going to give them 75. We'll give them a hundred thousand dollars. We'll put a cap. To we'll, it. we'll put a cap to it. We'll standardize the, the, the contract. And then what we'll do is we'll sign those negotiation. And here's the thing. They can renegotiate and, and, and Andy up for a resigning bonus. Hey, if you got a hundred thousand last year, we'll give you 150. If you stick around because you're, you're worth that to our organization, so kind of like an NBA team can offer a player uh, uh, more uh, than another. Yeah, yes, and he, you, you have your bird rights. If you want to make a certain amount of money, you got to stay put, put here, right? Like, hey, you were here. You can't get 300,000. You ain't been here that long enough. Now you can go wherever you want to, but the way to do it is standardize it so that now when you go to a school, you don't put, you ain't even getting poaching. It's just like, you know what you're going to get paid. Yeah. Now some will say that's anti-American because capitalism is let the market bear out what the pay scale is. But if you think about it, the NFL isn't that way. Mm-mm. There's a salary cap in the NFL. We've put a limit on how much people can make. And they ain't got nothing to do with the NIL. Gatorade no, totally can, different. Gatorade can give you an endorsement, and that's just part of what you negotiate. Now, but that, but that's for the regular kids. So if I'm the regular kid, and I'm a, I'm a backup defense, rotational defense to tackle, and I'm at Ohio State, uh, yes, I could go over down down to Florida, and, and but I could go down there, and now I'm only making a hundred thousand. I'm not going. I might not even get an opportunity to play, and I could stay up here and make more money and, and do what I need to do, and just and still get another signing bonus money. See, there's always levels to it. There's ambition. There's people that was in max schools that thought they wanted to go to the league. There's people that think they better than where they were supposed to be at. Some people just want their education. Some people just want to go party. Like, it's all kind of levels of people in your team. Would you be okay with this? Each team has, you can give one max deal, whatever that is, $2 million a year. Mm-hmm. You can give two second-tier max, $1 million a year. Mm-hmm. And you can give three third-year deal, $750,000 a year. And that would keep anybody from going Operation Stockpile with some wealthy donor just right. writing $10 million checks right. left and right. And at least it's there's some salary cap, some structure, and that will that will ensue the integrity of uh, competition. And regular guys get you a hundred thousand or whatever you're gonna give them just for, set those pay set those. And, and if they were smart, they would do it, and people would accept it because to be truthful, everybody ain't getting nil deals. No, they're not. Everybody ain't getting. And it. that's the free and open market is the nil right. deal. Here's the thing: if a player like Johnny Manziel comes from the weeds and doesn't get anything upon signing, but wins the Heisman. He's going to make that money up in, the money in up. his Heisman commercials and everything else that he's going to get. Yeah, that I, they should get together and do it. It was it'd be, it'd be smart, but if they let if they let it like, go, true capitalism, y'all going to be in trouble. You're going to have people transferring every five minutes. Yeah, and that's going to be tough. It is crazy. We're going to do super chats here real quick. Then we got to play a package from Mike Polk and do two things real, real quick. But last, 
time for today. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook right now. New customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and much more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash UCSS and shoot your shot. FanDuel, an official partner of the NBA. Got four Super Chats for you guys today. Two from our guy, Spoonie Images, who said, so much for the Chiefs having a down year, right? And Spoonie also said, I had a dream just before the game. Took a quick nap. The Chiefs won. Taylor Swift caught a long pass from Mahomes. True story. (laughs) Zach Huffman said, Mahomes is not the GOAT. How quickly we forget about Tom Brady. To be honest, I blame Josh Allen for the Chiefs being in this game. And Brody's bottom line says Anthony Edwards is the best player on Minnesota. I agree, Brody. He is the best player on the Timberwolves. Last week, we got the report from the Northeast Transportation blog that Jimmy Haslam bought land out by the airport as a potential spot for the Browns to move. And our friend Mike Polk did a little story on it. So let's listen to Mike Polk, and then we'll talk about the potential of the Brook Park Browns. What's up? Right now, I might be standing where the 50-yard line could be at the new Browns Stadium. You can almost feel it, can't you? Of course, right now it's just a big empty track of land here in Brook Park, but since the Haslam Sports Group just bought 176 acres here, it's a pretty safe bet they're not planning on using it to convert it into a big paintball course. But frankly, that would rule. Nope, what this tells us is that like a young Cleveland couple who just had their first child, the Browns are considering moving to the suburbs. Nothing is for certain, of course, but the math isn't hard. Brown Stadium, as it currently exists, is not great. It's old, it's cold, and it needs a major upgrade or total rebuild. The stadium lease expires in 2028, so something's gonna happen soon. All that's being negotiated now is precisely what will happen, where it will happen, and how much what happens is going to cost everybody. The Browns have been playing downtown since 1946, so if the team does move and the Brook Park Browns become a reality, that would obviously take some getting used to. But this is the way the league seems to be going. 12 of 32, NFL teams already play their home games in suburban municipalities. I've been to a few, and they're not really my cup of tea. Suburban stadiums feel sterile and disconnected from the personality of the city. But I'm also not so rigid that I couldn't suffer through having to watch my football team play in another building 10 minutes away from where I normally do, and without 60-knot Canadian ice winds attacking me from the lake. The good news for the Haslams is that either way, they win. If this move successfully provokes city officials to expedite the process of committing to a stadium plan with what the Haslam group considers to be adequate taxpayer support, the Browns stay downtown and Cleveland helps foot a hefty portion of the bill for the revamp. If the city box, then the Haslams can say, well, we gave them a chance, and then start constructing their own little football town in Brook Park, where, unlike in Cleveland, they will own all the property surrounding the stadium. In other words, much more autonomy and potential profit. To be clear, I don't begrudge the Haslam group's move, and I hope that it's a step towards establishing some clarity on this stadium issue very soon. And whether they stay downtown or move to Brook Park, I personally think the best PR move that the Haslam group could make would be to fund the entirety of the project themselves and not rely on taxpayers from one of the most impoverished major cities in America to subsidize their incredibly successful business. This is not me begrudging the success of the Haslams, and it's true. They've done a lot of good for Greater Cleveland, but it's important to remember that Greater Cleveland has treated them pretty nice too. The Haslams purchased the Browns back in 2012 for just over a billion dollars. According to Forbes, the franchise is now worth more than 4.6 billion. So they're not exactly hurting for capital. And while it is common practice for taxpayers to pay for sports stadiums, it's certainly not required. For example, LA's new SoFi Stadium is not only the most expensive NFL stadium ever built, but was also entirely privately funded. But I recognize that's just a pipe dream and that we're all probably gonna still end up on the hook paying for stadium escalators ourselves. But that's football in America, I guess. And I've repeatedly proven to be shameless in what I will endure in order to support this team, no matter what part of town they play in. 
This is unapologetic Brook Park Browns bro Mike Polk for 3 News. <laughs> Brook Park Browns bro. Uh, the thing that stands out to me most about Mike's report, which was terrific, by the way, because I thought he got right to the nuts and bolts of the issue. At the end of the day, if he's going to ask taxpayers to subsidize any of this, here's why it's a bad look. He turned $1 billion into $4.6 billion, and likely that number will be $6 billion before long. He did that on the backs of Browns fans. That's how he has added $5 billion, if that, if that valuation continues to rise, to his net worth. How does a man who just invested a couple hundred thousand in one of Cleveland's sports team's main competitors to buy part of that, then ask those same Cavs fans to write him tax checks when he's got a net worth of almost five, of over $5 billion. It's not a good look. And the fact that L.A. was able to subsidize their entire stadium through private funds tells me if they did it in L.A., they can do it in Cleveland. Even I- if Haslam has to pay for the bulk of it, himself. You want a new stadium to add more worth to your team that the city won't own? It will be yours? Build it. I don't know how true this is, but I heard the Ford family or who owns the Detroit Lions, they, they funded the stadium building uh, themselves as well. Um, I told G this Saturday, and I can be totally off base, the fact that Jimmy went out there and purchased 176 acres of land told me that he was kind of tired of the back and forth he just want to get this done is basically what I'm trying to say. Do you think he did that for leverage for the city? I think he did I it. For, I think he did it for leverage. Definitely. I, th- I definitely think so. I think it's one of those. He didn't have so many different meetings with city council and the mayor and things like this. And he's like, man, you know what? This back and forth on what we going to do. Let me just go ahead and spend my money. Go get this land. And if I got to do this myself, I'll do this myself. Either way, I just want a new stadium. I really don't give a damn about how it get done, who pay for it, how how you go about it. And that's it. where I think most fans. Yeah, are. just I just want a new stadium well, with a retractable roof. You have to pay roof. for it with tax money. I pay you for okay everything with else with tax money now. I mean, I'm a, I'm a working Ohio city Cleveland. I pay for something, in some way, shape, or form with tax money. Right. But brand new stadium, retractable roof, natural grass. If you put it in Brook Park, you got a connected. I think there's four major highways that connect. You can build up around it, like whatever. Just do what you got to do. You know, he, I, 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 we, we look at it, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure just like Jeff Bezos and all the billionaires, they're not paying no taxes anyway. Uh, no. They're not paying taxes. They're, they're you, know, you know, when you get to that level, you know, it's the trickle-down theory. Okay, well, let's, you know, we're going to give you tax breaks because you employ a lot of people, and, and usually people that wealth tax bracket don't pay much. Here's my problem, I, and my thing is this. If, if say for instance, you know what I'm saying, I, I loan you 50 bucks, right? But then you say, okay, I got you back, I loan you $50. But then the next week when you get paid, you got Jordans. Where you get them Jordans from? You can't get no Jordans before you pay me. He's like, I got them for a good price. You just went and bought the Milwaukee Bucks. You can't buy the Milwaukee Bucks and then come to me and say, I ain't got no money. You just bought. million dollars a going rate for that. You could have (laughs) said if you really wanted to upgrade like yeah, like listen, you can't you know, you you can't do renovations to this house and then go get you a new mortgage at the same time. The bank looking at you like "Mm, you either choose one or the other. So my thing is, yeah, I want a new stadium too. But the political nature of it is if it's uh, if it's uh, you know, 
It's re-election time. Sometimes them constituents don't be signing off on that. They say, where else could this money be going? Like, well, the other thing that Mike said in his piece is you're going to ask. The, here's the, this is going to be the, the, the truth of this. You're going to ask the most impoverished city in the country by some metrics to pay for a house for a billionaire so he can continue to add to his wealth. There is something that is rotten about that statement. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And you got it. And by the way, I know you said, hey, I'm paying taxes anyway. They might as well. Wouldn't you rather? Could you imagine what a billion dollars would do for Cleveland City Schools? With our police department, which is sagging in numbers, and as a result, our crime rates are through the roof and raising like never before. So at some point, Mayor Bibb's going to have to make a really hard decision. Everybody in Cleveland cares about the Browns. That's why Mike's right. In the end, it'll probably be struck, a deal between the, the Browns and, and, and the city of Cleveland. But it's just it, it makes me feel really dirty to think that how could that other money, it's going to cost $2 billion if they build it. Mm-hmm. How much are they going to ask Cleveland taxpayers to pay for? What could that money do? Just like you said, you don't care how much Deshaun Watson makes. Right. You don't care about that. Well, we all should because that's that much money that we don't have for Operation Stockpile. It's hard, it's hard to operate and, and stockpile a lot of talent when one guy is going to make $65 million against cap next year. So you, you, fiscal responsibility is hugely important to the success of every business. It's also important to the success of any city. And our city does not need to be spending hundreds of millions of dollars so a billionaire who bought one of our competitors in another sport <laughs> can get tax-funded money for a state. And he ain't paying no, ta- pay no taxes itself. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good setup if you can get it. You, right, I love it too. <laughs> Black History Month. Yeah, Earl, man. Earl. So, you, you know what we do here at the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show, man. Number one diverse sports outlet that you're going to find in the city of Cleveland. Today, on Bill Russell's birthday, we're going to honor oh, Bill nice. Russell. Uh, he was the first black head coach of a major pro sports team in 1966. He also was the league's first black MVP in 1958. In 1968, he also became the first black man to coach his team to a championship. And so today, you know, we just want to honor Bill Russell on his birthday. With it being Black History Month, man, like the impact that he had, you know, for people that look like me um, and the the encouragement and the motivation and just being an inspiration, like uh, it can never, never like be forgotten. People like Bill, Bill Russell is a true pioneer, a true legend, a true goat in every form and fashion of the word. And it shouldn't be missed that even though he was one of the first player coaches and as they traveled, Bill Russell couldn't even stay in the same hotel as his team. Yeah. So that 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 is not missed upon me. And by the way, that this is just one generation. You know, we talk about a lot of things like uh, you know segregation wasn't that long ago. Like they were still playing basketball back then. Jim Crow was alive and well. 
and it just goes to show you that uh, we've come so far, but um, there were some things that that happened back then that you say, "Wow, I can't even believe that happened." You still, but you got to remind yourself. You got to remind yourself that we have come far, but you also have to remind yourself that there's some things that, that we need to take care hey, of too. Mike, real quick, we we uh, I want to say this: we got like 45 seconds before we close. Um, so not gonna say any names on this, but somebody I know uh, live in a different state. Um, you know, trying to kind of get in the media game, and their children. Uh, one of their kids had read something in the chat that was said about the dad and the child uh, tried to harm himself. And so I'll just say this to people, like when you try to be mean, when you try to be cruel, when you say certain things about certain people, you never know who you're impacting that's kind of like connected to that person. Spreading love really don't cost a damn thing in this world. Don't be a like, bully. Like you, you don't have to be that person, man. Just, just, just be careful because it's a child somewhere that tried to harm themselves based on somebody just something you and We gotta be better than that. See you in overtime. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.